fairly odd question to get us uh, started this morning. Uh, have you ever been called a loser? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't feel good. <laughs> I remember one time in, uh, in my high school days, my cringe days, some, some, of, some, of the fr- uh, some friends of mine and I teepeed a house really late at night. And afterwards, I felt guilty and paranoid that we were going to get caught by the police and that they would find out who teepeed the house. So out of fear, I asked my friend, I was really worried, I said, man, I'm, I'm worried that the police will conduct an investigation and complete a forensic analysis on our fingerprints on the toilet paper. And I asked, do you think we'll go to jail? And he said, Garrett, you're such a loser. <laughs> oh, being a loser isn't, isn't such a bad thing sometimes. Um, I think Jesus calls us to be losers, not in the derogatory or foolish sense, but to sincerely learn how to lose. Learn how to lose, to gain by losing. As he teaches us in Matthew 16, 25, it says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus introduces in this verse the paradox of gaining by losing and gaining himself. So if you would, we will discuss, uh, explore that paradox together. If you open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we are going to bleed into a little bit uh, chapter 10 as well. So we are starting in chapter 9, verse 11, and we will be reading on to chapter 10, verse 7. So if you do not have a Bible, the uh, verses will be up on the screen here. This is the word of the Lord. It reads again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Continuing in chapter 10, it reads, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error error proceeding from the ruler. 
Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in the low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. At Vertical, we like to go, we like to exposit the word, we like to go line by line, so we will pan back up to verse 11, in which it reads again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. So this verse starts with the word again, uh, because Solomon has belabored this point in the book of Ecclesiastes that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? So sometimes bad things happen to the righteous who are in Christ, and sometimes good things happen to the wicked. So, and, and this verse, in verse 11, it, it, it describes that sometimes the fastest doesn't win the race. Sometimes the battle is not won by the strong. Sometimes the intelligent doesn't get all the money. The qualities of speed, strength, and intelligence are not the ultimate determining factors on whether someone wins or whether someone gains. They absolutely help. These qualities give advantage, but it is ultimately, as Solomon puts it, up to time and chance. And throughout this book, we've seen Solomon commonly use language, uh, you know, exclaiming God's sovereignty, right? Like he says, everything is in God's hands or uh, the work of God. Uh, no one can find out the work of God. So we would expect to read a verse like this in verse 11 that resolves by saying the race is not to the swift, but it is in the hands of God, or really something like that. But instead, Solomon says that it is up to time and chance. Why is that? Why, why do we see that instead of Solomon proclaiming God's sovereignty? And, and Solomon is using the words time and chance because it condescends to our human understanding of how and why things happen here on earth. So th this, language, this is language that we would, as fellow human beings, just use on earth in everyday language, right? It was only a matter of time before he got the job, or he won the lottery by chance. Even though we know that in a heavenly sense, all things work together according to the counsel of his will, and that there is not one maverick molecule that is outside of God's sovereignty. As Proverbs 16.33 states, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Or in other words, another translation reads, the dice are cast, but the, it is the Lord that determines how they fall. So the Old Testament and the New Testament does actually describe scenarios in where people are casting lots or throwing dice because they can't come up with a final decision or conclusion, and they so trusted in the sovereignty of God that they thought, you know what, we throw this dice, God is going to determine how they fall. Players of Dungeons and Dragons, take note. <laughs> Speaking of losers, I play d and I'm kidding, yeah. Um, <laughs> I play D&D &D with uh, Ben Jones, and uh, we have a fun little group. Um, I'm not going to get into it. So <laughs> consider this verse with the sovereignty of God. So Matthew 10, 29, verses th uh, 29 through 30, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs on your head are numbered. So not only are the big things in your life handled by God, but God is so caring and meticulous that even the hairs on your head are numbered. 
The average loss of hair strands on the average human head is 50 to 100 strands per day, and not one of them falls off apart from your father. As I get older, it feels like that number of strands has quadrupled. And I'm like, God, please help. I can't keep using keeps forever. But there is, so there's a theological and heavenly understanding that I take comfort in knowing that as my hair thins and as my hair recedes, that not one of those hairs has fallen off apart from my loving Father. All of them are numbered. However, there is also an earthly understanding that I can attribute to, that I can attribute to my hair loss is by chance, right? I, I received my grandpa's genes because at around, around my age, uh, it was only a matter of time. You know those Punnett squares that we learned in schools, in school, like with dominant genes and recessive genes? Those are such helpful tools to explain how we gain our attributes. And um, in a heavenly, God-fearing sense, we know that it says in Scripture, though, before the foundation of the world, we were being woven, we were being knitted, made in secret, right? God has purposefully made you as you. But from an earthly sense, it's like, well, by chance, right? Right, and from an earthly sense, my younger brother, who is approaching 30, can grow a mane. He, he has thick black hair, muy guapo. And <laughs> see... Same with my dad. My old man's like 63, and he's got more hair than me. I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> by chance, they have received better genes with hair, and time has proved it. Which leads us into verse 12 and what it feels like to live in time and chance on earth. It reads, For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Keith Green, singer-song, Christian singer-songwriter, really godly man, and he got into a plane crash, tragically. He died in a plane crash at the young age of 28, and his two children were along with him that died. And, and we look at a tragic and sudden thing that happens like that, and, and it makes me think of this first, of how we experience death here on earth, like fish that are taken in an evil net. It's so unexpected and scary sometimes, isn't it? And I think of that scene in Finding Nemo, where, where Marlon and Dory are, they just found Nemo, and they're, they're joyous in redemption, and all of a sudden this evil net like scoops up Nemo, and they have to try and swim down to get away from it. It comes unexpectedly. You know, you hear about someone with a relatively healthy life, and then this evil net comes in in the form of leukemia, right? A, a father of a family of four gets snared into a seven-car pileup. Someone is walking their dog, and they slip and fall, hit their head on the ice, and they get into a coma. And you, and you look at this, and you go, life is a Pandora's box of horror. 
And, and King Jesus' journal penned by Solomon is relating to this horrifyingly earthly perspective that we experience. We, we see a sudden tragic death or accident and we go, how evil. And Solomon, God's word, is acknowledging the reality that we are living in a fallen and corrupt world that is filled with danger. And while this is scary, we can never leave these verses without seeing the hope in them. In an earthly sense, this is what it feels like, a big evil net that is coming to take us all. In a heavenly sense, we need to remind ourselves that we find tremendous hope, not in death, but in his death. Not in death, but in the death of Jesus Christ, who has conquered this evil ensnarement that can't touch us. Solomon approaches a new topic in verse 13. It reads, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembers that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So this specific scenario um, can be applied very generally, but I actually think we can point to a story in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 20. Um, it's, it, it's, about, it's a story of the city of Abel that was besieged by Joab, who was King David's military commander. And, and the city ended up being delivered by a, the counsel of a wise woman. And we read in, in verse 15, as we just previously read, but there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. The account in 2 Samuel of the, of the wise woman, she's just called the woman. Right? It's, 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 she is given no name in that story. It's, it's almost as if like, the author hardly even remembered her. Right? And, and, and the writer didn't even think to mention her name. So whether Solomon is referring to this specific situation or not, I, I want us to notice that Solomon uses this word poor. Uh, it, it says a poor wise man. Or... or, or um, Describes a poor wise man, and no one remembered that poor man. Solomon could have just described him as wise man. Um, but I believe that there is a reason that he mentioned the word poor. And I believe that this embarrassingly shows one of the primary reasons why we remember people. It's because of their status. If this account had stated that this was the king's wisdom, right, most likely his, the king's name would have been honored and mentioned in songs, and he would be sung honoring his name, right? You, you hear an account in the Old Testament where people are singing, all hail King David, how he has killed tens of thousands, how he has defeated many armies. And what we're seeing right now with this wise woman, she's an unsung hero. Her name is not mentioned, and why? And I, I, I believe that part of it is because of her status. She's poor, she's lower class, whatever you want to call it. 
The world sings about the winners as they are perceived by this world as winners. And they don't sing about the losers, those who are perceived as losers to the world. And I was really convicted by this, by this story because I'm extremely embarrassed to say that I find this at times in my own thinking. Uh, you know, one, one time I was driving my car, uh, or driving, driving my dad's car with my family. I was getting my learner's permit. And I remember hearing that the, the, the president was in town. So we, <laughs> we went on the, the highway and he was going on 94. And we drove past the president's car and I was like, whoa, it's Barack. You know, I was like, no way. But the, the, the president's car drove so fast, we barely saw it. And I'm like, well, thanks, Obama. Um, I will always remember that interaction with the, with the highest man in office in the land that I, that I didn't even see. I will always remember that interaction. I only saw his tinted windows, but barely do I remember driving past a homeless person on my way to work. So quickly, I forget when driving past an image bearer of God, even if I decide to, to give that day or, or not, as soon as I'm down the road, I'm on to the next thing. And I've, I've remembered driving past the president's car my whole life. The world measures people by their appearances, their status, and their wealth. God measures people by their hearts. We see value in vanity. God sees eternal value in each of us. God, help us to be more like you and not be swindled or swooned by the so-called winners of this world. We're called to be losers to this world and embrace God's wisdom. As we look at verse 17, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it reads, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. You can be a foolish king of the entire world with all the power and wealth and have the feigned love of fools, or you can make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and learn wisdom and prudence and do good in the name of the Lord. Choose wisdom. As verse 18 reads, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Wisdom saves lives. Wisdom makes wars cease. Wisdom makes tempers cool. And if we choose the way of the foolish ruler, we end up with the result in the latter half of verse 18, which reads, but one sinner, one sinner destroys much good. I remember in my kindergarten class, my friend and I built a big tower. It took like 10, 15 minutes to build. And then there was one little girl that just came and kicked it down. What took my friend time and effort and um, fun to build something for 10, 15 minutes, it took her one second to destroy. One sinner destroys much good. There's another time when I was 10 years old, and I remember I, it was my first time making Easy Mac unsupervised. <laughs> you remember those? It was like lunch in a cup. And, and I, I, I remember being so excited for the mac and cheese that I skipped reading the instructions. And, and, and I, I, I just put in the macaroni and cheese powder with no water. And I put it in the microwave for three and a half minutes and walked away to play video games. <laughs> Two minutes later, billows of smoke out of the microwave. Um, 
you know, I, a, a bill of just charcoal gray smoke fills the house and smoke alarms go off. My mom's yelling. She's grabbing the fire extinguisher. The neighbors are gathering around and there's a commotion, you know, just the smoke and I'm crying. And, and, and <laughs> But think about the microwave. Think about the conventional microwave that we take for granted. It's one of the, one of the greatest technological innovations where you can heat up your food in a matter of minutes. It takes honestly no time at all seconds. The innovation and countless hours and scientific research and labor it took to design this commodity is destroyed by one 10-year-old who didn't read the instructions on his Easy Mac. One sinner destroys much good. Chernobyl. <laughs> I know it's kind of a weird transition to, <laughs> from mac and cheese to an industrial nuclear power plant, but it's pertinent. The, the Chernobyl nuclear power plant suffered a disaster of epic proportions. The plant was maintained by dozens of workers with the miraculous discovery of nuclear fission that stands on the, the shoulders of a hundred years of scientific research and is destroyed by primarily one manager who insisted on conducting a very, very irresponsibly dangerous test. And it ended up causing an explosion with the level of radioactivity that was twice the nuclear bomb dropped on Hiroshima per hour. So every hour that passes by, it was twice the radioactive level of the bomb of Hiroshima. And the radiation wouldn't stop, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but for thousands of years as it spread to the whole world. And it took thousands of people and countless arduous hours of labor to correct this one mistake by the erroneous decision of one factory worker. One sinner destroys much good. However, what hope do we find in this? One wise savior redeems much evil. He took on all of the sins of this world and has redeemed many, many, many sins by one act of sacrifice. Only he can do that. As we head into chapter 10, the beginning of this chapter starts with some proverb-like wisdom. So these will feel segmented because they're meant to be. So we'll go line by line, starting in verse 1, chapter 10. It reads, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. This analogy is describing uh, ointment, right, that has a pleasing aroma. You think of a big jar of ointment or perfume that smells delightful. But just add a few dead flies and it ruins the perfume. It gives off a stench. The jar is no longer delightful. It no longer smells good. And it would be like going to a restaurant and you find a fly in your soup. You're not just going to go, oh, I'm going to eat around the fly. You're going to say to the waiter, this soup is ruined. Can you please get me a new bowl of soup? And that's what this verse is saying in each of us, how the world views us as humans is that a little folly or dishonor outweighs any wisdom and honor or goodness that someone has, right? It's a harsh earthly reality that we see when you hear about a pastor having an affair 
or when you hear a politician involved in a scandal, or when you hear a banker committing fraud. Even a celebrity like Will Smith, who is a decorated, well-respected actor, starred in tons of movies, received numerous awards, really changed the culture with, with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and it took one moment, one slap. It took three seconds for the world to change how they viewed him entirely. In the world, if anyone who talks or thinks about Will Smith, they will not, never not think of that moment when they look at him. However, in a lovingly sense, our Father recognizes our blemishes and does not mark our iniquities against us. He knows that we are dust, and instead of of marking our sins, he sends his son who had no blemishes or dead flies on him, making us spotless. And let's continue to verses 2 and 3. It says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. So regarding verse 2, why are, the, why, are the rise the, why are the wise to the right and the fools to the left? Insert political joke here. You'll see that this type of language is in multiple verses, that Jesus is at the right hand of God. Psalm 16 says, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's the significance of, of the designation of right and left? It, it, it's, it's truly just ancient symbolism to designate the proper and right way versus the way that lacks wisdom. And this isn't to cast any shame on the left-handers out there. That's not what this verse is saying at all. It's simply symbolic to designate the right way and the wrong way, right versus left, wise versus folly. And in verse 3, it talks about how a fool shouts from the rooftops that he is a fool, right? You may have seen these, seen these types of people at, at, at parties or, or even just on the street. And it's to remind us that the final destination of foolishness is to no longer be ashamed of your foolishness, but even be proud of your foolishness. And to avoid being proud in our foolishness, we need to remain humble. As verse 4 states, if the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. This is such a good lesson. Guys, this, this, uh, this lesson relates to Proverbs 15.1. It, it, it reads, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I, I worked in a call center for about five years, and the amount of angry calls that I've received, especially working in payroll, there are never any good calls about, hey, my paycheck came on time, thanks. It was always, hey, my paycheck is wrong. And, um, you know, when I'd be on the phone with an angry customer, I just realize with this wisdom, most people just want to be heard and, and listened to. And when you respond with rationality and calmness, 99 times out of 100, you will receive a softer response, even maybe an apologetic response. 
But this doesn't always happen. When we look through the book of Proverbs, this is very general advice that, that doesn't always work out. Take Jesus, who was before Pilate and Herod. He barely spoke and even kept silent. And as he stood in his place and he was being questioned and slandered and accused, he stood silent and he still took on a great offense. Isaiah 53 says about Jesus, And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. As we near a conclusion, let's look at the last few verses, 5 and 6. It reads, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. In these verses, what Solomon is describing here is what Pastor Chris preached a few weeks ago, that, the high, that even in the highest of offices, the highest of statuses, the highest of wealth, there is foolishness, there is folly, there is evil. These offices may seem high. The people in the offices may seem high, but because of human corruption and sin, in God's eyes, they're actually very low. As we read in God's word in Psalm 92, verse 7, that says that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. The winners of this world may have a high view in the eyes of the people of this world, but in the eyes of the Lord, they, their final destination is seen. Now, this verse in Ecclesiastes doesn't mean that everyone who is in a high seat or position is doing evil things or is even destined for that. I, I, I think that if you're in a high position or, or you know, high status or have a large amount of wealth and you love the Lord, your faith will inevitably be tested. Your faith will be tested because there will be evildoers in those high places that want to flourish even more through those evil means. So that testing of faith may even cost you a seat in the high place that you are in. And you may be brought low for a season, but let it be because we lose our high seats or our high seats for the sake of Christ, who is on the highest seat at the right hand of God. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Those who will try and hold on to their lives who are not in Christ will be destined to destruction forever and the roles will reverse for those who lost their lives for his sake. And as verse 7 reads, as we, as we near here, it says, I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. We who are slaves to righteousness will suffer now and sit in a very low place in this world and we will be seen as losers because we have chosen to lose our lives for his sake. But soon we will become seated with God on high. We, we, we follow our King Jesus who humbled himself and was brought low as Philippians reads, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And I want to go back to chapter 9 at a verse we looked at prior in um, verse 15 that says, but there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. The book of Isaiah describes Jesus as acting wisely. Jesus was not rich. He had no place to lay his head when he was going on ministry. He was very wise, and he not only delivered the city, he delivered the world from sin and death. Yet no one remembered that poor man. As it says in John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, if you address your eyes up to the screen, it reads, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. Jesus left his high place to dwell with us in our low place, in the form of a servant, in the form of what a world would call a loser. The reign of King Jesus was pronounced not on a horse, not on a steed, but on a donkey. It's not a typical, it's not a typical steed that a king would ride, and he was praised for his loneliness, lowliness, but also mocked and called a fool for his lowliness. Yet we will see who was once our lowly king who lost his life, conquering on a steed. He who was once seen as, as a slave walking on the ground will ride on a white horse. As Revelation 19 reads, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. This is Jesus, remember. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, White and clean followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. That's the word, the wisdom of the word that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name that is written King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And brothers and sisters, do not treasure your life here. If you try and save it, you will lose it. Jesus got low and we have the honor of following him in loss, right? For we shall be glorified with him, provided that we suffer with him. I absolutely have a sinful tendency to hold on to the things that I've gained on this earth. And we need to... Be honest and ask ourselves, where are we at with that, right? Where are we at with that? Would, would I, if I lost everything, would I still rejoice? As Hebrews 10.34 reads, uh, uh, the author says to the people of God that says, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, 
Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, God help us have faith like that. Are you afraid of loss? Are you afraid to lose? Brothers and sisters, know that the battle is won. Know that whatever you lose here will be won with Christ in heaven. God help us. Jesus has won his bride by losing his life. We must also follow him and lose our lives for his sake to win his, to be seated at his right hand where Christ is and where there are pleasures forevermore. Would you pray with me?